I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome back to the Grief Gang podcast with me, your host, Amber Jeffrey. The message behind the Grief Gang is to normalise the topic of conversation that is grief. People living with grief can often feel ashamed, isolated and alone. This podcast was created to break those taboos after I myself experienced all of those feelings after the loss of my mum in 2016. I decided enough was enough and we need to talk about this. You'll hear on this podcast an array of stories and experiences, some being my own and some being fantastic guest episodes and their incredible stories. You'll laugh, you'll cry, but I hope above all, I hope you'll learn. I hope you'll learn that you are not alone in your grief journey, that you have a voice and it should be heard, that you and your grief matter. So without further ado, I'll let you enjoy the episode. Happy listening. Really Hello, everybody. <laughs> You're in the countdown. <laughs> you had more in the countdown there. Um, hello, everybody, yep. and welcome back to the Grief Gang podcast with me, your host, Amber Jeffrey. This week is another fantastic guest episode. I'm really hitting you guys with these guest episodes. Like, you no longer just have to sit and hear me chat absolute waffle into your ears. I'm actually giving you some goodies with some fantastic guests. This guest in particular, I came across across about poor, two or so months ago, just by a whim. And I stumbled across and I found myself in a deep, deep rabbit hole. And I come across this one particular video where this gentleman is speaking about his loss. And I found myself gripped absolutely gripped by it and i thought i need him on the podcast i need him on the podcast and i need to speak to him so without further ado i would like to introduce emmanuel awayelu manny thank you so much for being on the show how are you i'm very well thank you thank you for having me it's good good to be here absolutely Um, yeah been looking forward to this we've had a few scheduled <laughs> sessions haven't we so we finally got her we have indeed but you know all the best things in life are worth waiting for you know some things true. you know you've had you've had a stressful week you've been moving you've been through it so you know we, yeah, didn't, we, didn't, yeah, we but... didn't want to do it while you were shuffling boxes in the back it would have been chaotic no no you don't want to see what the background of my house <laughs> yeah, like yeah as we can so. see guys oh yeah actually this is actually you're my first 
visual episode. I'm because I'm, oh, really? I'm so lazy, man. I'm so lazy. Like the people have been, I know dark. the people have been asking for visuals like since days old, and I've been like, if and when, if and when. So. Oh wow! You should have told me. I would have got myself freshened up. Like I didn't know I was the first one. I know. I know. Well, you know, come as you well, are. Press you on me now. Come as you are. Come as you are. This is how we do it. That's good. That's good. I'm ready anyway. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Manny, there is obviously a reason why I've asked you to be in the grief gang, um, and there is somebody and some people that we are remembering today. So, would you mind telling the listeners and the viewers um, who it is that we are remembering and talking about today? Yeah. So. Um... So my best friend passed away. Uh, his name is Jess um, when he was 17. And he passed away along with two other friends of mine, um, Raymond Jones and Idris Olasupo. Yeah. And how old were you at the time as well? So... I, I was 17 as well. 17. Um, 17 as well, yeah. Yeah. Would you mind going to listen a little bit more into that of sort of, of you know, back in that moment and how you came to What happened? Yeah. Yeah, so the whole backstory. Yeah, that's fine. So, um, so yeah, so my, um, so my best friend and two of my other friends, um, who all went to school together. We all went to school together. We all lived in the same neighbourhood, mm. off the same road. They were actually in the car with two other friends. Mm. Um, so there was five of them all together, and the other two who were the survivors, they were actually brothers, mm. and um, on one night, it's funny actually because on that night, I remember. I wanted to go out and I don't know what had happened, but I, I had annoyed my mum or something had happened where my mum basically wasn't happy with mm-hmm. me. And so when I said I was going out, we got into a bit of a tiff at home and she refused to let me go out. Long story short, um, I was actually on my way to meet my group of friends who were down the road. Um, I think they were at a pub or like a, a youth event or something. And um, that night I I was annoyed because I couldn't go out, couldn't go to, 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 to see my friends. And I went to sleep. And uh, the weirdest thing, this is why, I mean, I believe in, like, the spiritual yeah. realm and stuff like that, partly because of this experience. And, and, and I, never, I never lose the feeling. I remember that night not being able to sleep. Mm. It was probably the start of what eventually kind of led on to, like, chronic insomnia years later. But I couldn't sleep. I never had any sleeping issues mm-hmm. prior to that. And um, I remember hearing in the distance, I remember hearing ambulance sirens. Mm. That's, I, I just remember that, you know, it could have been at any point in the evening, but I just remember that distinctively. And so like early hours in the morning, the whole night's gone now, um, maybe like six, seven, I get a phone call from one of my friends and he says, have you heard the news? I said, no, what's happened? He said, well, there's been an accident and Jess is, Jess is in the accident and it's already been confirmed that Raymond died but and another person's died, but we don't know who it is. And imagine, I just woke up to that. So I was like, what? So like, he was like, yeah, yeah, you need to call, you know, one of my other friends. You need to call Arif and find out from him or whatever. So I was in a bit of a state, state of shock. I just couldn't really fathom what I was yeah. hearing. And then, uh, I, I, no, I think my friend called me just before I was about to call him. And uh, all he had to say was, bro. Mm, and I knew yeah. straight away. I knew straight away. And um, I think I was in a bit of state of shock. I actually, uh, I don't think I even had shoes on. Mm. I ran to my friend's house. Um, and when I got there, his sister actually answered the door. And um, his sister, same age as my as my uh, younger brother. So she might have been, I think she was in year six. She was 11 at the time. And she answered the door. And I said, like, where's Jess? What's happened to Jess? And she said in the most calm and nonchalant way, she said, Jess got into an accident. He, 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 he died. Mm. 
and she explained that um, he went blind mm. and that he's gone to the hospital and my parents have gone now. And she said it in such a calm. It's like I don't think she really processed. She's in. What she she's an saying. autopilot. She's just in trauma. Like this is the facts. Yeah, like I don't think she'd processed what she was really saying mm-hmm. to me. So I then went to another friend across the road. I said, "Yo, have you heard what's happened?" Um, I don't think he was aware at the time. And then before I knew it, my parents pulled up behind me, and they were like, "Get in the car." Um, so at this point, I think I probably had maybe started to like break down. Mm-hmm. I, I, maybe not in its full extent, but I think. Mentally, I'd kind of shut mm-hmm. off, and I think I felt a deep sense of sorrow. Um, I can't remember if I was really like in that point of like uh, grieving yeah. yet, because there was still so much in the air. I knew that two of my friends had passed away, but I weren't sure if one of them. I weren't. I wasn't sure who basically had yeah. passed. The information mm-hmm. was just like we know three of them are like in critical. Yes. One of them had passed away. Then another one still possibly going to die and so it was a lot of information to not process properly and so um we we were driving towards the hospital still in my area only a few minutes away from my house and we drove past a uh, an accident a scene Mm -hmm. like and I remember looking and just thinking wow like you know it was a car the car was so crushed it looked like a Mm -hmm. toy it looked like a plastic can when a plastic can's been crunched together and um and I saw a bus and the bus was really really like messed up it was in the middle of the road and I remember thinking to myself immediately, like, wow, like, whoever's in that accident, I feel really, really sorry for them. Not knowing that that was the actual accident yeah. they had passed away in. Because when I heard accident, I don't know why, automatically, I assumed it was uh, on the motorway. I yeah. Know, I just always assumed Well, you've not been given any facts, motorway. have you, Manny? You've been left, your mind's been left to your own devices at this point, hasn't it? To piece the puzzle. Yeah. yeah. So, no idea. So, anyway, we drive to Whitechapel Hospital. We get, we get there, you know, I kind of run through to the hospital and I've got a few of my mates are already there and they're sobbing, mm. crying. And um, I think one of my friends come up to me and like, he just he, he just hugs me, like sobbing. And then my, my best friend's um, cousin, who I also went to school, she just came up to me, she just hugged me as well. <clears throat> and um, I said, where's Jess? She said, he's in, the, he's in the room down the corridor. And I knew walking there at that point that he had gone. Mm. And uh, when I went into the, to the, to the, to the room that he was in, his parents were there. Mum was screaming. You could hear her screaming from down the corridor. And um, and I saw my best friend lying on, 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 the, on his bed, hospital bed. And um, he was unrecognisable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't recognise him. Um, his face was swollen. You know, I remember thinking, like, this this isn't Jess. Like, what's happened what's to happened him? To my and, he, friend? and he laid there. Yeah, he laid there lifeless. And, uh, you know, uh, in a weird way, I was able to see him before he mm-hmm. went. In, in like you know it's not as if it was kind of a situation where I never saw him or something happened to him I saw him but I just didn't see him in a state that I would wanted to see him yeah. um, and I guess the next time I saw him was when when we saw him at the funeral which was an open coffin mm-hmm. so I mean so that was the scenario around it I guess the actual details around it is basically so Raymond who was the oldest of the mm-hmm. group um, Raymond was two years above us in school he was a professional football yeah. player who played for Queen's Park Rangers okay. and um, that that autumn, I think it was, um, possibly around January maybe, he had signed a contract, mm-hmm. a lucrative deal with QPR. Um, and with that contract, uh, you know, as a way of celebrating, he had um, bought himself a, a new car, right. uh, a GTI Golf at the time. That was a, an extremely, yeah. not just fast, yeah, but that was know, a very good popular car, yeah. attractive yeah. car. Yeah, so, and um, what had happened was in the area, so five of my friends, they were all in the car, and uh, they had basically 
allegedly anyway, they had come across a another boy that went to our school, lived in the area, and um, it seemed as if a race of some sort occurred. And as as the other car pulled away, I think it caught them by surprise. Yes. Something happened in those few seconds yeah. where the car pulled away. And uh, as they were driving, what they did is uh, the car swerved. And you could actually see at the scene the, the tyre yeah. marks on the floor. Mm. The car swerved in and then it swerved out. Right. And where it swerved out, there is a, a road a bend and at that bend it's a blind spot okay. typically you would slow down, down to, look, yeah. to then see what's coming around the corner they drove straight into that probably mm. god knows how many miles per mm. hour and unfortunately coming head-on was a double-decker bus yeah. and uh, that was the collision um so unfortunately raymond passed away instantly um he, he was he was crushed in that accident um and then my 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 friend Idris, uh, he was sat in the middle of the mm-hmm. car. Uh, he allegedly threw, uh, he had flew, sorry, through to the front, yeah. through to the dashboard. He uh, passed away, I imagined, on the scene. And then Jess, who was sitting next to him behind the passenger, he uh, wasn't wearing a seatbelt. And I think that was quite significant in his case because he flew through the front, flew over the passenger, my friend, and um, the story that his sister said uh, was was true in the fact that he actually survived initially, but he was in such a bad state, yeah. and uh, the air ambulance had to pick him up and took him to the ambulance. But upon arrival, or whilst he got there, he he passed away. Yeah. Um, and so the two survivors was my friend who was sitting behind the passenger, so who was sitting behind the driver. Fortunately for him, he was wearing a seatbelt, yeah. which in itself tells you the significance because the person that was sitting on the other end of the car who wasn't wearing a seatbelt passed, but I think what saved him was belt. that he was wearing a seatbelt, although that was the side that had the most damage. Um, he actually had to learn how to walk and talk yeah. again after that and is still uh, recovering many, many years on as a result of the accident. And his younger brother was sitting in the passenger seat mm-hmm fortunately wearing his seatbelt and uh, he only suffered breaks to his legs and arms okay. um so that was the incident around around their passing yeah, yeah. Um, and it was quite a quite a significant thing to experience at the age of 17 not just losing one friend but then losing three yeah. of them and then seeing the effects of that same accident on other friends who had survived mm-hmm. but were now no longer in the state that they were in when you grew up with them um they yeah. changed you know it took years for them to even be able to kind of uh put words together yeah. and stuff like and that. that's so. another trauma in itself there man and that's a whole nother level of grief there too of you've had people pass and then the the remaining survivors who are here almost mm-hmm. like you know as for them and for everyone around it's a it's an everyday reminder of what happened like them yeah. them learning to walk and talk again is a constant yeah. reminder of what happened that day um yeah. i just want to go back to in that moment of when you walked in and you saw Jess and, yeah. and in that moment, what did you, did, did you just sort of, you also, you had known that he had passed. Did you spend some time with him? Was it just too much? What was you feeling? And obviously I, I can imagine, but in that moment, what would you, if you can recall, what was going through your head? I remember my, I remember my first thoughts being denial. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that, countered that with the fact that his family were there in the room with him his mum was you know screaming and yelling dad was actually quite calm considering trying to console his mum mm-hmm. 
um, my friends were all in the lobby. So I think I was in a bit of st- I was in a state of shock, despite the fact that I knew that he was going to be in there dead. But when I saw him, I kept saying, "This isn't Jess. Mm. That's not. That's not your that's mate. Not, yeah. That's not my mate. That's not who I know. You know, handsome, handsome mm. guy. It just wasn't him. Mm. You know, it it it, it just wasn't him. I, he was he was he seemed like that was someone else lying in that bed, and yet. I still knew that that was my friend. Mm. There was still a sense of I'm right now in front of my friend and I ain't seeing him again. Um, I don't think I stayed in the room for too long. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I stayed in the room too long. Can't really actually recall my steps because things happened so quickly. You know, um, between leaving there and kind of being consoled by my friend and then my parents coming yeah. into the hospital and you know being a part of that whole process of trying to like calm us there was just a whole lot of hugging going on with with boys that I'd grown up with since I was like nine ten when I moved to the area that I had never had any moment of affection Mm. with before and uh, in that moment you know we were all broken in the hospital just consoling each other Um, and I think there was something there was there was a there was a a deep sense of pain in seeing my friends also suffer You, you, you collectively, collectively grieving. Yeah, that was a concoction of pain I hadn't ever experienced before. And uh, it's very hard to describe mm. because it's like you're not even just there for yourself. You're there for them, but then they're there for you. But you're all broken. Yeah. You're, all in, you're all in despair. You're all in despair. You're um, all in the dark. You're looking at your friends thinking, how can I support them? But at the same time, I need support too. I'm broken too. And there's something yeah. that uh, is is healing within that when you're when you know you're mm. not alone in it and although you're looking mm. and it's just pure despair and you're you're feeling their pain um and you don't want them to feel it and nor do you but there's something in collective grieving that is yeah. really along the line healing um and i think that kind of goes well into sort of like the the next question i want to ask you in that video at goodman factory you um later on spoke about how after the passing of your friends, you and your friends, you would meet up quite a lot. You meet up quite a lot, nearly every day, every night. Um, and you would, as you sort of say, like, quote unquote, celebrate their life. But you soon recognised that this wasn't what this was. Well, it was to a degree, but it was, as you said, an excuse to start doing things that you thought were actually more detrimental than they were beneficial. And I wanted to ask you of how... I, I do things like that. I was, I would definitely get together with people who and we do like things that probably were not going to be good for my mental health or like my healing or, you know, yeah. but it was just because I was in, I was with them. I didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to pull myself away from this because this is, this is my, this is my gang. This is my crew. And I, I they make me feel safe. So I wanted to ask you, so like you recognize that what we were doing, it wasn't healthy and it wasn't beneficial pulling yourself away from that and what was that conversations like like did you have open conversations like you know boys we can't be doing this this isn't right they wouldn't want us to do this um no i don't think that did happen mm. um i think the grieving process was new to everyone um and everyone was dealing with it in different ways i think collectively people maybe through maybe through their own personal experiences, maybe through stuff that we've seen on TV, you know, took the process or took the, made the decision to, you know, uh, smoke 
um, drink. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think in just like in any other you know, like really traumatic experiences, people turn to things. To you help find them your vice. You find your vices, didn't you? Yeah. Um, and I guess what was different about this is that people were doing it collectively. Mm-hmm. So at first instant, it seems justified. It seemed okay. Um, don't think there was much judgment from anyone, even those that weren't partaking in yep. it from the very jump. I think where it became a little bit of a problem is where you then saw individuals. First of all, we met every single yeah. night almost for weeks. Mm-hmm. So it already started to breed something uh, that was, I think, I want to say toxic because even then mm. there's something special about a group of men being Absolutely. there together, being vulnerable, being broken, even in that particular scenario and where we would meet was the spot in which they passed mm-hmm. away which was on our main road um but at, at, after a while i think what what happened then because nobody was obviously an expert in professionally helping yeah. and dealing and supporting you know your friends and your peers you then started to see certain behaviors from certain individuals mm-hmm. um that i think were a bit more self-serving yeah. uh than, than us kind of collectively grieving, which is what it was yeah. up until a certain point. Um, and, you know, like an example for that is, you know, like people people smoking and drinking, people are doing that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I think you would then get moments where people are actually drunk. Um, and with that, drunk. when, you know, you're young boys and, you know, it's not, it's not your first time drinking and stuff like that, mm. but you've been then handed one of the most traumatic things to go through. And then you apply booze. I've been there. You do it. It's easy. It's easy to numb the pain. And when yeah. you can do it with the people that you love who feel this pain as well, almost why would you not want to remove yourself from that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's what happened. You know, people, I, I think that, I think for some people, it was um, advice that they went to that they were already familiar yeah. with. Um I think for some people it was the start of um, it was the start of a dependency or a reliance on 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 drugs or alcohol to help them with that pain, yeah. um, and that was despite us all their all their being there all together. Um, so yeah, I mean that that was the situation essentially. I think it 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 it, it never got bad or sour, mm. um, but I quickly recognised that you know what it was becoming unhealthy in the way that we were going there all the time after a longer period of time. We had a tradition where we would go there every year, every year, same spot, you know, it just became our Mm -hmm. thing, you know? Uh, And I, and, and, and I really do believe that actually, if it wasn't for them passing, uh, many of us wouldn't have lasted. Yeah. You would have gone your separate ways. As friends. We would have gone our separate ways. Yeah. Because remember this was a, this was a year and a little bit after we had left secondary yeah. school. So it's sort of like in, peak in, time when you do, when you leave secondary school, you kind of, you go different colleges, you go stuff like that. Yeah. And so yeah. We'd already been a year into college for those of us that were yeah. in college, you know, so we had our college friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I always stand by the fact that it actually brought us closer together as a group of friends who were already very close actually in school. We had that reputation of being a very close year mm-hmm. group um, and a very big group of friends. But then also what happened was people that we weren't necessarily close with or didn't know before they were passing, uh, you know, I've got, I could say, potentially lifelong friends as a result 
of 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 them passing meeting people who they attach and inspired yeah. and they're now my family yeah. and i you know and i knew of them through jess yeah. or through idris but i didn't know them personally mm. and now you know i'm really good friends with his cousins yeah. or you know people that i met that he knew yeah. so there was something good in that but to, yeah but to go back to the point it, it became it became a little a little bit toxic because i think you could see for certain individuals it wasn't great for them um what was happening mm. um it was nice to meet regularly every year mm. um but there were certain traditions also like we would go to um we'd go to the graveyard as well um so anniversary we'd go to the graveyard you know at some point different groups would go as well but generally speaking yeah. that's what everyone kind of did and then in the evening we would then meet at the spot yeah. in which they passed and then those same things would happen again you know and it was always nice to catch up but as the years went on um it became easier to for me it became easier to leave a bit early because after a number of hours of being there i had no reason to really still be there drinking and smoking yeah um at different stages through those years mm. i might not have engaged in a lot of that anyway mm. and after a while it was just kind of like this isn't necessary you know um i'm still grieving as much as you guys but i don't necessarily think it's, it's necessary for us to be here you know till early hours of morning so i think there's just yeah. different people grieving in different ways um but i think after a long period of time you could kind of see that we as a group collectively needed something else yeah. to help us through this process or mm. individually um and so i think as as the years went on obviously you saw groups of, of people not necessarily keeping to those same traditions um, yeah. which again doesn't take anything away from any individuals but i think some people maybe thought that it did um mm. they thought that what they were doing from when they first died yeah up until five six seven years later yes yeah, but actually my opinion was like we're also older um and have more responsibilities some of us had children at that point you know mm. we grieve but last moves on um yeah. and so we don't necessarily have to partake in the same activities we were when we were 17 and do the same things and be up till one two three in the morning yeah. um, to show that we care uh same way yeah. you know I, I made an early decision to stop going to the graveyard mm-hmm. for my own personal um something about going back to the place Going back to the place where they passed with my friends was was one thing I could do that because I enjoyed meeting with my friends. Yeah, it was good. It was the reunion part I enjoyed about that. But then going back to the graveyard was a uh, thing. I only did it for a year or two after that, and like, yeah. you know, most of my friends would say, and I'd decline. It was just a bit. That was one step too far for me. Yeah, and that's um, one. That's your boundaries, isn't it? That's your boundaries, and I think even for one to go back to the place where they died, like. I drive past sometimes where my mum died, where she had her heart attack in their car. And sometimes well, I'll even take the other route just to go past it because it just, sometimes mm. it's just too much. I just think, oh my, I just envision it. And I think it's too much. Mm. So I think for you even to do that, that's that's, that's like pushing a, a big like boundary or big barrier for you. So, and then I think maybe yeah. with that, you will realise sort of, you know, as time's gone on, you, you do it differently. You do it differently mm-hmm. and that's fine. Um, Oh, just checking the bar. Everything's all right, yeah. Good old technology. Um, it's supposed to be pranging this, but um, I wanted to ask you, Manny, this question, cool. and I, I want to ask you this because I love it because I feel like sometimes with grief you get asked so much, like I have just asked you to recount their passing and those really horrible bits. Sometimes oh. I want to ask you what your friendship was like. I want to ask you what your friendship was like. What are some of the things that you lot would get up to? What are some of your favourite memories of you boys all chilling together? Tell us about Jess. Tell us about Idris. Tell us about Raymond. What were they like as people? 
funny that you asked that, you know, because when, when, when I've had to speak about them or the situation in the past, whether it's to my partner or to, you know, to some platforms or wherever it is, mm. very little focus on the actual individuals. Um, yeah. And more so on the situation and then the impact on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably haven't actually answered that question of being given the opportunity to like really talk about them. And I yeah. think that's so this is probably the first time I've done that in a while. Um, I guess the first blanket statement that I would make is that we were a very close group near friends. Um, not just those who were in the car that night, uh, those that not just those who survived and passed in the car, but us as a group of friends, like I mentioned, in our year group, we were a very tight-knit group of friends from, from mm-hmm. year 7 to year 11. It was literally one one big group of friends. Some of us had obviously gone primary school together and then gone to secondary school together. Mm. So there was that you got in the distance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Idris and uh, Jess actually had gone to... So we'd gone to the same school together, but they also went on to then do their um, fo- a football scholarship at Redbridge College together. So they were mm-hmm. actually still studying together. Um, And like I said, we all lived in the same neighbourhood. So the rest of the um, passengers in the car, uh, they literally lived doorsteps away from each other Mm -hmm. or, you know, a couple of yards down from from myself and from my other friends. So we were a real close group of friends. Um, For all three of them that passed, football mad. Like I mentioned, Jess, uh, you know, played for football team, district team. Um, Idris similar as well very talented footballers Raymond included Raymond actually was a professional footballer, football player at that point uh, yeah. one of the few from our school that we could be proud of a few have, have, have gone on to become professional footballers after mm. him um, Matthew Hector uh, no Michael Hector being one for instance mm-hmm. but but um, Raymond was someone that we looked up to because he was our boy from ENDS on our yeah. road you know lived down the road with his grandma yeah and he got signed uh, for QPR still, we're still in ENDS yeah. yeah, we're still in ends that night. But, yeah. you know, this is a guy that's earning big money every week. Exactly. And he for, wants to come know, and chill with his boys. Yeah. And he wants to. Yeah, he, he was just. That, that, yeah. It was a yeah. testament to his character and how he was as a person. He's just so down to earth, you know, so and cool. loyal. Um, loyal. What I'm getting is loyal there. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. You know, he came back and he looked after us. Um, yeah. You know, like a big brother type of figure. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, yeah. So, you know, it was football crazy. Uh, football crazy group um, with those in the car in particular and um, I guess what was quite sad about it it was actually the day after um, Mm. I think for both Jess and for Idris they had received letters that they'd actually got into uh, I think it was was it Fulham but they had got into basically teams um, the next day that they'd been you know know, training for some sort yeah yeah so so that that in itself was quite sad I guess in very specific to Jess Jess was uh, one of my closest friends. Um, he was one of my best friends and, 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 and my best friend, but mm. not my only one, but one of my best friends. We had a, we had a, we had a, we had a, yeah, we, we just had a, we had a, we had a great relationship, just typical mm. boys. Uh, just imagine what two <laughs> year seven boys would be like and then imagine what they'd be like in year nine, 10, you know, 11. Um, our, our relationship was quite unique in that um, we would often get mistaken for each other. So oh, yeah. I would literally... I would literally be in the playground and uh, I'd have my head of yeah storming towards me. <laughs> Big American guy with an accent, strong Southern accent um, from Virginia, I think he was. And all I would hear is, Jess, Jess Basilua, get over here right now. <laughs> Jess, get over here right now. And I'm like, You're there, and I just saw someone grab me by the back of my collar. And I'm like, yo, sir, it's not Jess, it's Manny, it's Emmanuel. And he'd be like, oh, 
and then like let go of me and then storm off like no apology no nothing she just walk away <laughs> from me and like go he look just grips you up he just grips you up and you're like it ain't even me <laughs> looking for Jess yeah so it's, so it was another story of here we go again um so you know so that was quite that, that was quite interesting and that was like a, a daily occurrence literally I, yeah. I don't actually think we looked anything alike to be honest but but people people teachers kind of had that had that thing with us so uh so mm. that that in itself was quite special looking back at it and I guess you know the 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 thing with Jess is um some of my some of my most crucial or memorable moments as a teenager he was involved in almost all of them yeah um I'll speak firstly about him as a character you know what give me 30 seconds I see yeah. my batteries on three percent let me just yeah yeah oh god yeah <laughs> we don't want to do that we don't want it to die I'll have a little water break. For those who are listening and not watching, Manny's just getting his charger. Stand by. I'm having a little aqua. Call these earrings my ears. That we was good. a rookie mistake that I should not be making. Always have that's your thing laptop with, charged. And that's the thing with Max. You think, yeah, and you look at it and you're like, that thing is sucked dry. Yeah. I've done enough Zoom calls by now in this last year. You'd think I would have learned my lesson by now and make sure my laptop's charged. <laughs> no worries. But, no um, worries. but yes, Jess. So um, Jess, 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 Jess was, uh, Jess was special, man. Mm. He, he was... He like every word I can think of that we use to describe people that we take for granted, that legend, that mm. icon, you know. He really was that mm. at the age of seventeen. He had left such an impression on people that, you know, when he passed away, him in particular, when he passed away, he literally had people from all corners of East London come to his funeral. Like I said, many yeah. people I know now, I know after he had passed away, you know. Um people that he had known and had an impact on mm. in college that he had played football with. Mm. You know, just people from all corners of East London. Yeah. Um, there was something about him that was special. He had a heart of gold um, and that he was very pure. His intentions, you know, there was no maliciousness with him. Yeah. You know, he always did everything he could do for his friends. Um, and in the neighbourhood that we grew up in, uh, there was a lot of racial tension between um, the black community and the Asian community. Yeah. And um, so for most of our school experience, we actually had... Um, a lot of uh, a, a lot of um, conflict, yeah. I would say, uh, with with the Asian community, the young Asian community. Bear in mind, Muscle was half black, half yeah. Asian at the time, and so um, Jess was probably one of the most feared people um, within that whole time, yeah. um, that space of time, and not because he was the biggest. Mm. He was lean, you know, typical mm. stereotype in here, typical African boy, like <laughs> lean, but the strongest guy you'd ever the meet, strong like, boy strong yeah. like you know people you know you know boys being yeah. boys we'd have like we'd have these weights in competitions yeah. in school and people trying to floor each other Jess was ridiculously strong yeah. he just it was just it's just how yeah. he was you know um fast athletic you know rapid he played football very talented as well but then when it came to 
you know, us getting in conflict with with other with other with other youth. Um, he was the he was at the front of that, and mm-hmm. that's not something I glorify as someone that is uh, trying to do right by my community. Yeah. But it speaks about him, his yeah. heart. He wasn't interested. He wasn't interested or invested in the violence mm-hmm. of it. It was more the protection yeah. of his people. And it didn't matter the status of whoever it was. It could have been the most popular guy in our group. It could have been the least popular in our group. He would never stand by and let someone disrespect Mm -hmm. or violate them. He hated the idea of bullying and he was fearless with it. I've seen situations where he would literally walk into a group of two, three, four people knowing that we're outnumbered, but in order to stop a situation, didn't care. And so, and and I, I can literally give you countless, like, scenarios mm-hmm. you can imagine the length of our relationship of like situations mm-hmm. where i've watched him and sometimes i've even froze in awe yeah of like wow Do you think oh I my god think yeah, I... he's gonna go into that or yeah okay. i don't think i could have done that i've seen him have one-on-one fights and the guys have said you know yeah. one-on-one yeah. but they've come with tools they've got hammers yeah. they've got poles around, everything yeah. and this is in a day and age where we actually did have fist fights yeah it were you know? yeah so, yeah, so we're, we're like, okay, cool. You guys have come and, you know, you come to our school. You've jumped on us. Some of these are college guys as well. Let's have the one-on-one yeah. fight. And they see their friend getting knocked the hell out <laughs> by Jeff. Yeah, they're like, and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have this. And then they jump in. And then you get, and that's happened countless yeah. times because it's just like, oh, wait, how do we let this guy beat one of us Jeff's up again? Like, on, we did this again. Just like, come on, let's exactly. go. Let's work on. <laughs> um, and I guess to wrap up in terms of this particular like part of our, our relationship, um, it, I never forget it. You know, in in the very thick of this kind of like conflict that we had with the, with these uh, uh, group, this this group in our area, um, there was a time in particular where I found myself in a very sticky situation. Uh, I had a group of I had a group of boys basically chase me down, right. um, and when I got away, they found a way to follow me. Like they knew, the, you know, they knew where yeah, I were. Yeah. yeah. And um, first person I called, yeah. always, every time, said, Jess. I need your help. You know, I need your help, you know. And no word of a lie, in that five minutes, and where I was, if you were walking, it's about 15 minutes yeah. walk back to our mm. neighbourhood. No word of a lie, Jess, five minutes. I think he had on something random like plimsolls or slippers because I remember the conversation after is like why are you wearing that and he's like I didn't have a chance to like figure out what I was going to and he just put on the most random it could have been his sister's shoe I don't know what it was and he ran down the high street I just remember seeing Jess blowing down the high road you know and like just knocked one guy out and then before we know it we were still outnumbered but I now had literally my boy you my you had your boy. You had your boy. in that situation and uh, I always give that example because uh, shortly after he was actually picked up uh, by the police oh. um, of his family know this what they do anyway but yeah he was picked up by the police and uh, I always felt a sense of guilt because he got in trouble that day for my problem Mm. um you get it I was in that situation I could have not called him and had to deal with whatever situation I was in but I knew that if I did need that help there was one person in particular out of a good group of people and needed to call but you knew probably yeah if you didn't call him and you got rushed or something like that he would have gone why did you not call me yeah, of course, hundred exactly. percent. Of gone, course, that's of course he would have said gone, that. Are you mad? Why did you not call me? And you've been like, oh, but I didn't. I, yeah, exactly. but I didn't. I didn't. I, I, and if I didn't call him, at the end of the day, the reason why I called him is because I had so much faith. My, I would trust him with my yeah. life. He's one of those people, you know. There's a lot of people that have the bravado and this, this, and yeah, that. Chat. But when it comes down to it, 
very few people are literally prepared to put that like as in it's almost irrational and borderline stupid that you don't even know what you're about to put yourself into (laughs) but you're about to do it and not everyone has that I didn't have that I don't you know if I'm being honest with myself I didn't have that there were situations where it makes sense we can do things as a group Mm. maybe even if if we're outnumbered Mm. But not everyone's got the bravery to be like, all right, you want it? Come on yeah. then. Like, I don't care. Like, you can't violate yeah. me. Not everyone's got that. Yeah. And that's why I say he, he had a heart of not just gold because of how pure he was, but he also was fearless. Yeah, fearless with it. There was just this rawness about them. Um, on a funny point with Jess, <laughs> he had been in this country long enough to not have the weird dialect or <laughs> tone that he had. We used to tease him about it. It was like our running joke, like mm. inside joke. Like he spoke like someone who had just come to the country yeah. in terms of his English, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know, his pronunciation like, yeah. and stuff. Um, but actually, you know, it, it was because his mum didn't actually speak English but, at yeah, home. His she household, yeah. Strict Lingala or broken French, which um, or maybe the two. So at home, he obviously just didn't speak yeah. um, English, uh, like you know, like it's, it's, speak, it's, like it's mother tongue, yeah, it's mother tongue, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I remember hearing, I remember asking some of my friends that went primary school with him, like, I'd be like, why does he just talk like this? Like, why? <laughs> like, like he would just say stuff, and be like, what? Yeah, like, what do you mean? Like, you know. <laughs> so yeah, so it's so the thing about Jess is that although like many of my friends as well, you could literally get them to sit here now, and they will probably give you different examples mm. or scenarios of similar stories of what I've just said which is literally how he is. But there were also, most of our funniest moments were literally with him yeah. involved, you know, from his own, like, stupidity that he wasn't aware of. Like, he would say something like, you know, I did it four times, and he'd have five <laughs> fingers up. And everyone's like, what are you t-? Like, you know, just the most silliest, dumbest moments, yeah, literally, he was involved in. And so, like, without exaggeration, he was alter- He was essentially the life of our Yeah, group. the glue, like, the glue. He was the glue, the heart, everything within that group. Yeah. Um, and so when he died, he literally, I think what he didn't do was break us yeah. because he brought people together, mm. but we lost our gem. It's like we it's lost the soul like, of our... like, and I try to describe this, like when you lose that person, if they are like the glue in your life, they're the ones who did mm. keep certain people together. Sometimes you think, yeah, okay, that person's gone. So we might not keep in contact anymore. Shit. But what I find is that people... If they want to do it, you will almost mm. find your own type of glue. And sometimes you, yeah. you take what you've learned from that person, which I want to mm. ask you as well, actually, like from everything you've described about like Jess there and like what your whole friendship was like, do you take th- like the way you and Jess were and the boys were into like your friendships today, like and how you, how you were with them? Although there is, mm. I know there's nothing that will ever compare to that friendship mm. that you had but from all those stories from those years that you had to go from your key your key points in your life like young boys mm. do you take things from those friendships into the friendships that you have today like you take your your inner Jess your inner Idris your inner Raymond you take it how do you apply to your yeah. friendships like now knowing that you know you've lost Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I think first and foremost, you do take a piece of yeah. it. Um, I think that was the beautiful thing about it is that like where we had lost something, we'd all gained something, you know, or certainly for myself and my friends that I'm still very close with now out of that group. It's like his fearlessness, the legacy he left, it it literally kind of like, I wouldn't even say transported, but, you know, it deposited something. Him leaving, it deposited mm-hmm. like a seed of that. Because we'd seen what it looked like to be fearless, to have a part of gold, mm-hmm. you know, to be compassionate, like all the qualities and skills he had. I genuinely think because he was such an infectious character, when he was gone, it still infected yeah. people. So for myself specifically, you know, uh, the way I tried to live my life, even as a very young man, was very much informed by the experience I had with him yeah. and my willingness to want to carry on his legacy. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't just carry on into my friendship, it carried on into my line of work, Your career. You know, supporting young boys and becoming a teacher in my career. Um, just who I am as a person, you know, how I treat people, um, because the way he treated other people, I know the impact of treating people well, so well, that even when they're gone, it never die. that legacy doesn't die. Yeah. That's what we're here for on yeah. earth. You get it to make people feel good, yeah. to serve other people. Yeah. And he did that in that very short time that he, he was did, here yeah. for. So I think that aspect of, of things, I try and use it in every part of my life, mm. but certainly with my friends. And I think we will have that kind of collective, uh, ob- maybe not objective, but that collective way of seeing each mm. other liaising with each other, engaging with each other because the beauty of us even still being together was because of someone yeah. else's impact on us. And so we kind of transmit that within ourselves yeah. as a group. So, so yeah, 100%. His legacy lives on through yeah. us. Um, and, you know, similar to Raymond and, and Idris, um, similar to Raymond and Idris, the lives that they impacted, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even in the football world, mm-hmm. Raymond would have had a significant uh, impact on his teammates. Yeah. You know, I remember there was a, a minute silence across football the uh, the following weekend, I think mm-hmm. it was, for the next game, you know, and this was a guy that was touted for England. He just had a bid for Liverpool, rejected mm-hmm. by his club. Mm-hmm. So this was a guy that was soaring yeah. in the game. And he left a positive impact on the football pitch, but also um, in person to those that knew him. Absolutely. Um, but another thing with Jess, actually, that that that, that kind of summarised his his... His impact on my life is uh, the second time I experienced a, a, a fixed term exclusion mm. um, at school. Yeah. I was in year 10 and uh, and it was with Jess. Mm. Um, it was with Jess, which kind of tells you a bit about our relationship <laughs> in that we were out, we were often in trouble together. together. Yeah, you were a duo. You were a duo. Basically. <laughs> or if I got in trouble, Jess was he might too. get the blame yeah. for it. <laughs> or... I might get the blame for something he's yeah, done. Yeah, vice versa. Sometimes you take the rap for it, vice versa. Or someone will think that I've done something, whatever Jess has done on the other side, they might think that maybe I was possibly involved yeah, in that yeah. too. Um, 
and so that 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 was quite a crucial moment actually in 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 our in our lives because obviously we were about to take our GCSEs. Yeah. Um, you know, even the way it happened was kind of like testament to his character. Mm. In that we were in a science lesson, we probably weren't doing what we we're supposed <laughs> to be doing. I think we were talking, messing about, whatever it was. It wasn't a serious class anyway. Yeah, um, as in, like the class, the people in the class, we were all like lots, lots of clowns in the classroom. Yeah. So we weren't doing what we were supposed to be doing. I don't think like speaking out or something. And the teacher asked us to leave. Um, but the type of science that we were doing was coursework. Okay. It was double award science. It was coursework. So if the coursework wasn't completed over two years, you don't get yeah. no grade. Uh, it's a double award as well. So we were privy to that. We weren't silly. So, you know, and the teacher wasn't silly mm-hmm. as well. She was a bit of a, I'm not going to say the name, but she wasn't a nice person. So so um, she asked us to leave. So we said, all right, cool, whatever, like, we'll go. And then as we was about to leave, we realised, oh, wait, we need our coursework. Yeah. So we was like, can we have yeah. our coursework, please? And the coursework was on the table, like stacks mm-hmm. of, like, folders on the table. So she noticed that we were about to go for it. So as we went for it, as Jess went for it, she went for it. And it's kind. Of, it was like kind of like awkward, a uh, what's the word? It was an awkward, like a like a bit of a tussle for the documents. Oh yeah, they're like, I want it, you want it, yeah. Yeah, yeah like lasted about zero point five yeah. seconds because Jess took yeah. it. He got it. Other folders fell, <laughs> and we just you know took our folders yeah, from it. I was like walked out the classroom. That was it. Uh, long story short, we walked down the corridors and literally it looked like something out of Land, Land of Duty, like uh, like AC twelve. AC twelve unit, like, come in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's just like anti-corruption unit. What's going on here? Like we had teachers, for, like we had all these guys, like you know, from the science department running around the corridor. Stop them! Stop them! Whatever. So we're now getting like you know we're being apprehended or kind of like kept against the wall. She's come out of the classroom bursting out, crying oh in tears. You know, teachers from that weren't even in the classroom are saying, "Yeah, we heard it. Like they assaulted her, uh. just this and that." So we're in shock. We're like, what? Like, and you're year you just 10. walked out of that classroom. You're year we're year 10. Like, yeah, we was in year 10. When you're in year 10, you're about what? 15, 15 14, 15. 15. Yeah, I don't think I was even yeah, 15 at that geez. point. So, so, yeah, anyway, long story short, you know, she claimed that we had assaulted her. Um, our parents were called in. His, his dad actually was so pissed yeah, uh, that my dad, actually, my dad actually came in on behalf of both yeah. of us and sat there. Um, and you know my parents obviously they loved Jess, yeah. but they also knew that as a duo sometimes you should get in too much trouble. <laughs> they know that, but the real so, parents we knew my boy, our boys ain't assaulting. But he was their son. Yeah, our boys like, ain't assaulting their science teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and on top of that, like Jess was a son to my dad. Mm. You get it? Mm. Like he was my, yeah, my best friend yeah. all those years. So, so he he came in on behalf of both of mm-hmm. us because I think Jess's dad at that point was like, oh, I'm tired of this. I'm not coming." Yeah. In. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so anyway, that led to our, our exclusion, which eventually kind of got turned over and overturned. And I think it ended up in an, in an, in an internal okay. exclusion. But that was still quite detrimental yeah. because uh, we weren't then able to have access to all of our GCSE subject mm-hmm. classes. We were in isolation, had to be taught separately. Um, had to stay away from that teacher, um, which we didn't want to go in there anyway. Yeah. And um you know, ultimately it was quite costly because it resulted in, well, for myself. Your anyway, educational I, I, time. Yep. And I only left school with only four GCSEs as a result of that. Yeah. Um, so that, that in itself had quite, quite a, quite a, a significant uh, impact yeah. negatively on, on what I wanted to do yeah. next with my A-levels and stuff. So, you know, and so the next year I did my, I did my uh, maths. You yeah, know, you retook, um, yeah. 
we took my maths and everything and then it was that summer going into my second year of college yeah. which would have been my first year of a level they died in that summer 25th of august yeah um and so then that basically had a massive impact on half of that year because yeah. I, I stopped turning up to college um you know all my attendance was very poor yeah. i was really suffering um i went for a big state of depression yeah. i had my first girlfriend at the time yeah. um lovely girl loved her at the time yeah. but i didn't know how to to cope with what i was going through yeah. as a young boy who didn't really have the best support system around me yeah and um i broke up with her yeah um one of my biggest regrets not so much that i broke up with her but that i hurt someone yeah um and I, and that was my reason. I said to her, you know, I'm really struggling and I don't know how to be the best boyfriend that I can be, be to you yeah. while I'm suffering. And, you know, she would constantly say, but I can I can be there for yeah. you. I want to be there for you. She was not, you know, she wasn't distant. She, wasn't, no. she was the opposite. And it was just something about our relationship. Nothing negative. But it was more, it was literally the, the cliche of it's me, it's not yeah. you. But you know what it is, man? It's, I, it's hurt. Hurt people, yeah. hurt people, like hurt people. It's like mm. that's a big cliche in itself, but it's true, you know. Like if you're hurting and you haven't got an outlet to express that hurt, and as much as that girlfriend at the time, she wanted to be there, it sounded as if like, you know, they can be the most supportive person in the world, but sometimes you need to be around the people that just get it. Yeah. And that's a hard conversation to have with somebody that you love and when you're young as well. And trying to articulate that is very difficult mm. because when you don't want to hurt their feelings and be like, I, like, I love you still. And like, yeah. I appreciate you trying to be there for me, but you're just not it for me. Like you're, you're not yeah. going to be that go-to person that I'm going to speak to about necessarily my grief. And yeah. at that young age, I wouldn't I, like me. I've been with my partner since I was 16 and, when I lost my mum when I was 19 and we've had that conversation and it's hard one it's a hard one mm. um and so like with that then like when when did you feel like you can kind of find your people that you can speak to about about your grief or and stuff like within the within that video at the Goodman Factory I really what I loved most about within that in that in that short IGTV was that I could feel that you, you were really comfortable you're really mm. comfortable talking about it and it seemed like, you know, there's you were all sat there talking and even the other guys in there, I could feel that they were listening to you and I feel like the space was being held for you there. And then mm. earlier in the video, you, as you said just now, that, you know, you didn't really have much support around your loss and the support on that. So watching you in this IGTV, I was like, I'm so glad that you have these people now. And I know it's so, so many yeah. years down the line, but um, how how do you express your grief now, like with your partner? How do you like to speak about like Jess and the boys? Um, and yeah, if you have an outlet now, and how you do that? Um, I guess the honest answer to it is I don't really have an outlet to it now. Yeah. Um, it's not a conversation that I guess really happens mm -hmm. regularly. Um, my partner's great mm -hmm. though in that she she's 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 a great communicator so she which obviously is, is listening yeah. as well as talking and so she will listen to it it's more from me that uh it's just one of those things i've always struggled to mm -hmm. do and talk about it unprovoked yeah. um you know so so this for example us talking now is only one of a few situations where i would discuss yeah. it um and i guess i'm fortunate that i can discuss it comfortably yeah. 
because even on that Goodman Factory podcast, what some people might not know, or many people might not know, is that in that group, um, a few of them had only met that day. Yeah. Wow. You, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not all a close group of friends. We are all brought together through a mutual yeah. friend who I'm very close mm-hmm. with. Um, and so he is that for all of us, a very good mm-hmm. friend, you know, um, but through the good manufacturer, we've obviously developed relationships, mm. but they're not my boys. Yeah. Um, who knows? Who knows? But I think, yeah, and I think there's something, I think that's important, weirdly enough, because I guess to summarize, it's been easier to talk about it with people mm-hmm. that I don't yeah. know that well. Manny, that's um, the gift, that's the gift of it. As with anything, it's it's easier. That's why people like, you know, go to therapy, and that's why therapy is so successful. Mm. You have somebody who is unbiased to you and your story, they're not gonna tell you stuff mm-hmm. that you that you think you you know you want to hear. Exactly. They will sometimes call you out on your bullshit. And they'll yeah. tell you this and that, um, but I think mm. that's a that's a really big testament to sort of how the importance, especially of of like men collectively getting together. You're saying, you know, on that day of that podcast recording, you'd met that day, and you, I feel, mm, like, some of those yeah, people. and mm. I feel, like, I feel like within that, you like you, from even me watching it, I was gripped by it because you, I thought you were so open with it, and to hear you said that you only met that day, I think that shows that there's such power. As we know, time and time again, there's so much stigma around men opening up. So for you to have only met those people that day and to feel comfortable enough to have done that, I think that proves the absolute power of having, you know, male, probably male spaces, speaking about even mental health, grief, whatever it may be, and just having these mm. safe spaces. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think um, the science behind that, I think, is, is, is probably a lot easier to process than people imagine in that when people aren't invested in the same type of trauma or had the same experience as you, mm. you can objectify the experience mm. to a degree. Yeah. You're telling a story, a narrative, and that might be uncomfortable for some people. Some like myself, it's not too much of a problem. Mm. Whereas uh, I think that would be quite different if I was to have that same conversation with my actual group of friends in which I experienced that, mm. that, that, that trauma with. Yeah. Because what hasn't happened in a safe, sensible way since it happened Mm. is more than two or three of my friends uh sat together like we did on the goodman factory podcast and just talk Mm. about it It, that still hasn't happened Mm. like that you know maybe we've one maybe with one or two of us two or three of us same denominator as you know maybe the one person that i've had that conversation with regularly with another person in the room but as a collective some of my closest friends now from that period of time I don't think we've ever been in a big group to just talk, talk about it. open up, really go back and say, why did we do some of the things we did after that? Mm-hmm. How did you really go through mm-hmm. that? How did this impact you? How is it affecting your relationship, your child, whatever? Because those are things that I struggled yeah. with after they passed. And although I had a collective of friends, good friends, friends that I was, you know, I was growing mm-hmm. with still after they had passed, I still didn't have that safe space yeah. and I didn't have it at home either. Yeah. Um, and so at the time, the way I was able to express it then, which I don't have as much now, but I think I think I'm I'm emotionally a lot more uh, you know, I think emotional literacy yeah, is quick yeah. is key. So you know, so I've got that emotional literacy, I'm more equipped, yeah. uh, I've developed as a person, I've got a system where I've got like my partner, yeah. if I did need someone, I know now that I've got access to therapy, something I've only really been kind of like uh, open yeah. to within the last year. So when I was younger though. Uh, as you can imagine, with many young boys uh, in in London at the moment, um, or a- anywhere to be honest, um, didn't really have mm-hmm. massive outlet. Mm-hmm. 
and the outlet I did have was my music. Mm. Um, I wrote, I wrote poetry and I wrote music. And, um, and so I was able to express my pain through my art, which was my writing and my music. Um, and that was a lot easier than sitting down with my group of boys and being like, do you want to talk about this? Um, and then there was other ways in expressing it, you know, like my first ever tattoo mm. was literally. Yeah, you said you, yeah, you, you went and started like your tattooing and stuff. That, yeah, yeah. And that. that could have easily become, it could have easily become an addiction. Maybe not so much directly associated to them passing mm-hmm. because you might just get addicted from the, the, the tattoos itself. Yeah. But, but you know, even the thought of getting a tattoo prior to that, mm. I don't think it occurred to me. But it's like I was looking for something to make me feel better, to make me feel closer, yeah. to just feel like. I haven't lost this person, you know, and one of the first things I thought of was, I want to get a tattoo of him on my body, yeah. like, so, and I did that, you know, yeah. um, so I, I didn't really have great ways of expressing that at the time, but it wasn't a terrible thing that I had my music yeah. to do that, and that was really yeah. helpful for me. and that's, that's fine, um, it's like, you know, some people, not not everybody, like, it, t- it took me, like, a good, yeah, a good three years after my mum died to think, yeah, I want to, I want to express this, um mm. and in between that i was i would do things like journaling and stuff like that but yeah it takes for it's not one size fits all with it manny not one size fits yeah. all and for you it was your poetry and your music and expressing it through that um do you ever look at those or do you ever have some of those do you sometimes go back and look yeah there's an archive of, yeah, of my work yeah. on youtube yeah um i, I try and find I, I, sorry, I don't find it um, because I, I, I did music mm. at that period of time anyway. Uh, so I got a lot of my friends will remind me of stuff that I've done, mm. and then that's when it kind of like, oh yeah, look, I have that. Yeah. And some a lot of that stuff is still actually on YouTube and stuff. Yeah. The reason I don't talk about it much in my pages because I know I've got students and stuff, <laughs> and once they find out, they won't. I won't hear the end They'll of like, it. Sir, not, not sir, I saw you on yeah, YouTube. Not, not, not everything on the internet I'm, I'm proud of. So um, I'm choosing a fast at finding stuff. I had guys on my football team like shouting out my rapper name from oh, years ago. No. After, yeah, like like in the middle of football training. And I looked at him like, You're like where I said you to heard John, that? I said, what, what did he just say? He said, he heard your, he said your name, bro. He knows your name. They found you. <laughs> You're like, shit, shit. Damn, and that was my football. Yeah. That was my football team. That was, let alone, you know. So, yeah, but yeah, student. so my yeah, my music's still out there. And you know what? It's sometimes it's actually quite therapeutic yeah. to go back and listen and see myself as a 17, 18, 19 year old mm-hmm. and how I expressed myself. Yeah. You know how I, you know, did what I did. Appreciate the music that came with it because it's still a skill and an art, isn't it? To be able to put your thoughts and feelings and do so with rhyme and poetry on the beat. Um, and I, you know, I, I love that. So. Yeah. So, yeah, so I do look back at that. Um, but, yeah, in terms of how I'm able to kind of, like, express myself with it now, you know what it is? I think I've I've, I've, I've matured naturally. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I've got a lot more emotional literacy. Yeah. So if I need to discuss it and talk about it, I can I can compartmentalise yeah. it. Um, my wife is there if I want to talk about it. But what's the theme between... So the thing that would happen often, though, is that when it came to speaking to people who I was close with, mm-hmm. mainly my partner because it never really happened with my parents ever, mm. to be honest. Um, I found myself always choking up. Yeah. So I, I quickly identified that I couldn't speak about mm. it with my partner in particular, who I guess became my best friend mm. shortly after we got together. I couldn't. Mm. So, uh, but I was I was okay with that, yeah. you know. Um, she knows, and she knows details about it, mm-hmm. and she knows, but I think she also knows it's best for me to not always go into things. Yeah. And that's just, that's just, that's just what it is, you know. That is the more human side of it yeah. than, than, 
this to a degree in yeah. which I can talk about it and I can yeah. glorify not glorify I can uh you can uh, I can praise them yeah. and you know do all that stuff which is objective but mm. also sentimental yeah. and a bit subjective but the minute you start talking to someone about that situation and it's someone that you know is kind of meant to be there to see you vulnerable well, there's still that thing yeah. with me as a man as a person that struggles to be vulnerable yeah. I don't want to be I don't want to cry I don't want to be upset right now yeah. so I don't want to talk about it, but I'm not actually going through anything anyway. Yeah. So I'm okay to not talk and about it. If fine. it was to hold me down, then then maybe I should do that. But, yeah. you know, I get on with my life appreciative of those that I do have around me, my family, mm. um, not to have experienced too much trauma after that. Mm. Um, only only a year after, one of our friends from school actually committed suicide yeah. short, uh, like a, uh, within a year of that happening. Mm. But completely isolated situation. Yeah. So, um so I just kind of always look at my blessings yeah. and I think that for that for me is how I do express uh not so much my grief but just my kind of gratitude, gratitude for life. For life, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I totally get what you mean sort of like the the vulnerability and like with my grief sometimes it's it's heavy stuff, it's heavy stuff and you know as much as me mm. and you can sit here I can I can I can talk about like my mum till the cows come home whatever but there are just some things that is just too raw. And you have to be yeah. in a certain space, I believe, or a certain mindset to be ready to unpack that. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, it's not for things like podcasts or just, you know, and, and videos, stuff like that. That's sometimes mm. some deep, deep stuff that you mm. need to be with someone who is really safe to you and you can mm-hmm. unpack that because it's not it's not a straight road unpacking that stuff. Like yeah. there's things yeah. that I, I can tell my story about my mum time and time again, but there's certain parts that I go over because when I do it, mm. I just... Honestly, that you feel that the lump. emotion, mm. yeah, and the, and the feeling behind oh. your eyes and your nose. You just feel to... it. I'm just, I just go, yeah. and I, I had to recount it not long ago, and I was like, "Fuck, I ain't spoke about this for time." And I was just like, yeah. "Whoo, that's brought some stuff mm. back." But yeah. it's so true. Yeah. Sometimes some things, some things are should not be never not unpacked, but not every day unpack it. Yeah, yeah, and it's good that you said that about certain things you have to go over because uh, one of the things I caught myself. By surprised by is when I was talking about on the Goodman Factory. It might not have, it might not have been so obvious. Uh, there was a part. There was a, there was a part of me recounting and talking about their death that I mentioned in that podcast. I didn't anticipate. Yeah. I must have said something that led towards speaking about yeah. it. And I remember actually sitting there in the studio in the podcast studio as I was talking about yeah. it. Obviously, so no one would have noticed. But in my head, I was thinking, damn. You gotta to get together yeah. because like, what I was about to talk about was a very, very. It would have brought out, I think, an emotion that was different yeah. from everything else I was showing yeah. and was able to portray. Because mm. that for me was still kind of like it, it was just, it was just, it was, it was, it's just, it was such a deep mm. moment that's not quite explainable. Sometimes there's no um, words for it, is there? Sometimes there's no words for that. Part, yeah. yeah that particular experience linked mm. to it. And, and it was the part where I spoke about seeing him in my dream. Yeah. Um, because at the time, that was something I really struggled mm. with. Uh, I could not stop seeing him in my dreams. Yeah. And it, it it felt like a vicious cycle of sadness. Yeah. Waking up. Being sad. Going to sleep. Thinking like, feeling wow, sad. I'm not, yeah. I'm not with you. Like, I just, I just saw you, mm. you know. And there were nice positive moments within that, you know, running up to them and hugging them yeah. and talking or whatever. 
And then you wake up and you realize that, wow. Oh my gosh, that was... And you're not in control of all of that. I think that's the sad that's, part that's about it. That's the part think about you dreams. You don't know that you're... Yeah. Yeah. That's the part you know. that when, when people speak to me about dreams and I, as... as my dreams now of my mum, they're very, my mom, they're my dreams now of her are very, uh, they're very, very boring. <laughs> She's always doing mm. something, pottering, stuff like that. But before. Mundane. Mon- yeah, yeah, mundane. And before it would be, they'd be so heartbreaking. And I would almost feel like my brain is torturing me. Why is my own body? Mm. I almost felt like I was letting my own body and my own me- my own mental was letting me down because I'm thinking my yeah. sleep is meant to be my recharging. This is when I'm meant to recharge. Mm-hmm. This is when I'm meant to rest. I think about my mum from the minute I get up to the at this point in my life, I was minute I get up to the time I go to sleep. Give me this eight hours where I can actually just yeah, either have a, just, just be. be. Let me just be. Let just me just be. rest. Yeah. And I can imagine for you, it is. It's it's torture. It's borderline torture. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was very much that, and I think that that you know quite. For me, it quite clearly led into what what was, I think, uh, a very depressive state for me. Yeah. Um, there was no running away from it. Essentially, I was never going to run from it anyway. You know, um, just through the fact that it was in my area, it was on my road. I drive past that road every single day now. Yeah. You know, like you know, I see his mom, see his sister. She grew up with my brother. Mm. But like you said, you, you know, those hours of sleep is all you get to close your mm. eyes and to wake up and then have to experience whatever the day is going to come. Yeah. But to spend what feels like eight hours, which is probably only about a minute yeah, or two yeah. when, when it's dreams, uh, to have that time thinking about or seeing someone or being with someone that you you dearly miss, mm-hmm. that part is quite difficult. Um, yeah. and, and, and I guess the reason why that part was quite difficult for me to speak about is because it directly led to what I was addressing in that particular podcast mm-hmm. uh, snippet that you mm-hmm. saw. I was addressing the lack of support I got from a family yeah. member in that time. And it was actually the dreams that led to me being so sad and depressed mm. that when I was seen being sad and depressed within my home, mm. I was challenged about that yeah. by a member of my family. And, you know, when I tried to be open and say, I just, I'm struggling. I, I don't know what to do with myself. Like, I'm so mm. low. And their response, you know, was... yeah. Get over it, it, wasn't it? Get over it. People die. It's been a week or it's been two Mm. weeks. Two weeks. It's not going to be the first person to die, you know. And uh, I think the final comment isn't actually, I don't think that had much significance to me. I think at that point I was kind of always like, I think I was almost semi-broken. So at that point I wasn't really registering any other comment after that. Um, but the final comment was kind of like, you know, like, and if it's going to bother you so much, why don't you like, jump off and go and follow him? Then? Yeah. Like, why don't you go, you know? But weirdly enough, I was never really hurt so much mm-hmm. by that part. Um, I think it was that it was kind of a realization at that moment in time that, oh, I, what I thought I didn't have before, which was a support system, mm-hmm. I didn't think I could trust my family, yeah. you know, to, to support me through that. But I never really tried it. Yeah. And that was a sample, and it was all I needed to, you know, to almost that, solidify. Yeah. yeah, and I never, and, and, and you know, I never had a, a, a moment of that kind of, uh, I, n- I never had a moment like that again yeah. uh, in terms of that. Well, you kind of ex- vulnerability. you expressed that, yeah, and you, you yeah, recoiled yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and not just with that, but literally probably moving forward, yeah. and that then led into what, how I dealt with my relationship. Yeah. So when I first got with my partner. You know, I was quite. I was. A, I was a closed book. Mm. I was still a bubbly person. Yeah, yeah. It didn't really affect my personality. We're very as much. good, I believe, us who have been bereaved mm. at giving 
I feel like we're quite good at giving people just enough to make them feel mm. like they know us yeah. and yeah. know us, but that you know just enough but underneath that yeah surface and that's not because we're trying to be shady or you know be coy Mm. it's just a thing of there is up like we're like you know ducks it's all calm and but underneath we're just we're we're trying to survive some days we're trying to survive some days so and and if then if you've been you know spoken to by somebody who has you know shut you down shut your grief down when you meet somebody and like your partner who is, you know, she, she wants to be there for you. She sounds like a great listener, a great support system. You're thinking Mm. this can't be true. This can't be real. Mm. Like I've only experienced people who don't want to hear it. And now you're telling Mm. now you're, now you, you're telling me this person in my life wants to hear me and hear what's going on in here. Nah, this Mm. is too good to be true. And sometimes we have to Mm. realize that actually there are some people who are empathetic and they will listen to us mm-hmm. on our grief, and they are here for us. Yeah, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, and even though I can appreciate, you know, her skills and probably a few other people around me who would be fantastic at listening or whatever. Mm-hmm. Again, um, I think it's a personal issue mm-hmm. in that I'd rather just, I'd rather, you know, be up here and not even coast, live life. Yeah. You know, no one has to know anything's going on with me. Yeah. You know, kind of almost had that. I'm not a victim. You know, don't like whatever. Mm-hmm. I have the tattoo on my on my on my mm. sleeve, but I ain't gonna go around and tell every Tom, Dick, and yeah. Harry about my life situations mm. or whatever, unless it's necessary yeah. or I have to talk about it. So there are a lot of things that you don't keep on the mm. air. But I think the reason why that's dangerous for people like us or, or for myself at least is that um, things on the hair haven't been dealt yeah. with. Yeah. Uh, and so they evoke different types of emotions mm. that you're not able to regulate. Yeah. Sometimes that comes out in anger. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that comes out in, you know, being tearful and crying that might not be explainable to other people. Yeah. Or, or 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 you might cry and be tearful mm. and, and be broken, but you you don't do that completely like you should yeah. do. You're like in a halfway house. But yeah. either way, there's a whole, there's a whole load of emotions yeah. that are undealt with. And, you know, and my wife said over a number of years, you know, um, and it was because of her I did it. She said, she said, you need therapy. Mm sometimes she you need people therapy. who they will just go you need it yeah yeah she said yeah. you need therapy you know and, and the reason why you know i love my wife is because she is very she's outspoken but she's she's a strong character mm. she doesn't take any crap <laughs> uh, from me or from anybody in her life and uh you know being a mm-hmm. young man as well my life experiences unfortunately taught me things that i want you know it taught me things that I weren't proud of being associated with or that I was doing as a young man or as a teenager Mm. it's almost like a conditioning of how I need to be as a man Mm. in all aspects it was all wrong Mm. you know I didn't necessarily have the father figure to show me how to do that properly and then father figures or role models around me so I really had to unlearn a lot of things um, as a result of not dealing with my trauma uh, not just through the death but even just situations or experiences of being you know, uh, you compartmentalize things, but then when you when you're dealing with people, particularly people who actually have the skills and experience of expressing or talking. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sitting right by the door, and it feels like someone's trying to come. Is, that, is it little person? I'm not even too sure. I'm gonna message <laughs> my wife. That's all right. No worries. It's real. Is... I don't think it's. Don't think it's even my. It can't be my daughter. I'll be scared if she's opening the door at nine oh, months. It must be my. Tell wife. you what, though, yeah. my niece. She's she's eight months and she's climbed the stairs yesterday. Eight months. 
eight months. To be fair, someone else told me that as well. They said that they climbed, they, they looked at the top of the stairs and the daughter was there. <laughs> and shortly after, yeah. nine months, she started walking. So Trust that's me. a good sign to they me. They do. Fair. They start They start going, they start moving quick then once. Yeah, you better, you better yeah. get them stair gates in. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, yeah. We're quite fortunate, actually. We're all on one level. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, just flat ground. I just have to worry about the sharp edges, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just saying with my wife, she basically, long story short, um, said... I'm not here to tolerate your not not here to tolerate your issues. I'm not I know you've gone through stuff in your life and I'm there to support yeah. you in that and to help you in that. But what I can't let you do is use that as a way to or I can't let you use that to ruin our relationship, yeah. potentially the relationship of your children. Yeah. You're not going to then recycle behaviors yeah. actions thoughts yeah you need to deal with that yeah. and first point of contact was her i can help you however i can mm-hmm. but after a while i think she she understood that i couldn't and there was nothing personal with yeah. her i didn't with anybody yeah i walk about and i do what i need to do in my mm-hmm. life and everyone thinks on the outside great outgoing yeah, guy doing whatever. right yeah you're dealing with your own stuff and then you've got other things you're dealing mm-hmm. with <laughs> systematic racism yeah. and all this stuff yeah. you're trying to be something at work and then you're dealing with trauma yeah. that you never dealt with and then situations whatever and I'm not the only one that's got mm-hmm. issues I think but I think what's key is that I'm someone that had issues but never really had a safe structured space yeah. or, or, or environment yeah. to to unlearn certain yeah. things or to really deep like to really kind of deep dive into like yeah. myself and questions everything, which which is what therapy does basically. exactly your wife got to a point where obviously you know as as partners as we are we always support our partners but when it comes to a point we have to recognize that this is bigger this is bigger than this mm-hmm. is bigger than a, than a partnership support this is potentially it needs you know a professional to come in here um mm-hmm. and for your wife take my hat off to her because like I've, I've had to have conversations like that with my partner and i know so many people have of recognizing that you know, I love you and I support you, but this is bigger than me. This is bigger than us. And yeah, you know, if yeah. we need, to, if we're going to survive and we're going to have a happy relationship, you're going to, we're going to have happy parenthood. We need to, we, you need to go and unpack you stuff. Need to sort you, need to, yeah, you need yeah. to sort it out. And it's, it, it goes right into tough love. It's tough, it's tough love, but it's like the mm-hmm. biggest form of love. So what yeah, a woman you've got, is, what a yeah. woman you've got. Yeah, no, she's great. She's great. And you know what? Some, a part of it is self-serving and it has to mm-hmm. be like that. You know, I'd want my daughter to have that. It's, it's understanding and recognising that other people's trauma, it's not yours to break down and to support yeah. or to help. We have a duty as human beings mm-hmm. to show empathy towards yeah. each other. But when people have very deep-rooted issues that they need to kind of unearth and sort mm-hmm. out, it's not then the responsibility of their partner or their children generational trauma isn't that. it generational trauma yeah it's, it's not great yeah and I've, I've experienced that with my with my parents yeah. you know things that they should have had dealt with by their parents or people in their community it wasn't mm-hmm. and we you know the we have learned certain yeah. negative things as a result of them not dealing with yeah. that even if their intentions and the person is the good people yeah. but like you said hurt people hurt people hurt people intentionally or unintentionally and I really didn't want to be that person so when my wife advised that you know you need to go therapy didn't take it too seriously at the time or just never find the space to I just you know I just it's a buzzword to me therapy but I actively went out looked for it got referred blah 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 Mm. and I did it and you know what I'll be honest with you it didn't help yeah 
Not that it didn't help. I saw the benefits of it, but the person who I had, I didn't connect just with. Just like anything. me, just like me. That's what mine was. I so. completely see the benefits of therapy now. But when I when I was in my really dark place, I went and I wasn't I wasn't vibing with my person, yeah, and then it really put a bad taste in my mouth with therapy. But then I've mm. now over the last year and a half of grief gang, I've unpacked that that I can now see that therapy isn't bad. I just had a bad mm. therapist. That yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never thought that therapy was bad. As it was not a negative experience yeah. in any way. It was more like I didn't really connect and engage. Um, and there's different reasons, I guess, as to why that's the case, but nothing to do with the person as as a person. Yeah. But I just kind of, I wasn't so comfortable opening up. Mm. Um, it was a bit more difficult mm. for just this person in particular. And uh, I think I missed one session. And I think I think that kind of just... You kind of realise this is a goodbye. Yeah. You, yeah, you yeah, were like... I didn't make no attempt to reschedule the next yeah. one. And I think if I did, I didn't make that one and I had an excuse. And then when I realised it, it's like, I don't... It's, if, if it felt like it was going to be a chore job yeah. and that was already a sign to me like if I feel like oh I've got this meeting again oh I forgot yeah. this I should want to look forward to Absolutely. being able to like dealing with it after a while mm. maybe not in the beginning but I should and I just didn't feel that yeah. so I will go back to it I will prioritise it because I need it Um, I recognise that but but um, hopefully I can find someone that's good, yeah, suitable. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Right, before I let you go, man, I, I want to ask you the one question that I ask all my guests on the podcast. Cool. Um, right, if you could go back to your younger, freshly bereaved self, what would be some helpful advice you would give young Manny for the journey that he's about to go on? So Manny um, in that moment at the hospital, if you could almost double yourself and stand in front yeah. of him and say, Manny... This is your older self. These are things you're going to learn. Here's some here's some things that I've learned along the road. Yeah. Um, I guess if it's, if it's things I've learned along the road. I mean, for me, I think I'll just say to myself, it doesn't necessarily get easier. Mm-hmm. You just find ways to manage it better. Mm-hmm. Um, but that won't come without good people around you. Um because if I know myself, I know myself. So if I'm speaking to my younger self, I know what I'm like to a degree. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm not going to open up to everybody and whatever. I'm going to do what I need to mm-hmm. do, um, and then just kind of like trunch through life. Mm-hmm. But I think um, I can appreciate now that you need other people, whether it's a therapist or whether it's your partner, whether it's a group of friends. Uh, different people have different uh, roles in your life, yeah. um, and so I think I would go back and advise myself and say, you know stick close to those who can be of support to yeah. you and help you know that might have been my girlfriend at the time mm. who knows you yeah. know um, people who make you feel good hurt. yeah and I hurt someone I always look back at that with a bit of regret and I don't have too many regrets in life I think things happen and it shapes who you yeah. are for later but I have a regret in that because um because of my grief and my trauma and my lack of emotional literacy I I I I dealt with a situation very poorly, mm. you know. I caused her to have a negative experience of men, yeah. of myself. I think somewhere deep down she knows that um She knew that you were going through stuff. It wasn't it wasn't due it wasn't through maliciousness yeah. or whatever, but she was young herself. Mm. And I know that she was hurt by me because she didn't want to talk to me. I still wanted us to be friends yeah. after because it was nothing to do with her. Mm. But for her it's just like you broke up with me, yeah. you know. Um, and it was that maturity of understanding yeah. that you've still broken something. You've broken her heart, literally. You know, she loved yeah. you. You claimed to love her. 
why because you... you didn't know how to deal with something or you didn't know how to use her or find support alongside all of those things that I just didn't know yeah. you know no one taught me advised me I didn't have any kind of guidance so you know I did the first thing that many young men do is I sabotage something mm. that's good self-sabotage yeah self-sabotage and then I kind of used it as my like well look at that that's gone terrible and yeah. now just you know uh, so you know I think that would be the advice I'd give to myself I say you know it doesn't get easier but you find ways to manage it but uh, stick close to good people yeah. um, I never let them go and, and you know what that's find out a bit later on in my life but um, I've been fortunate to have good people that I've known since I was literally yeah. a little boy so Blessed. amazing blessed indeed blessed indeed well manny thank you so much that has been honestly i'm looking i'm like i feel like we could talk for hours to be honest but that yeah, was it's gone, yeah it's gone quick it's gone quick but thank you so much before you go please um plug yourself where can the people find you all that good stuff i not i'm gonna put it all in the details but please for there is plug yeah no problem so yeah so you can find me on twitter um as manny owl I've got a very simple tag because uh, it's also the same for Instagram, Manny Awo. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, I guess, uh, Emmanuel Awoyelu. Um, and also check out the Goodman Factory podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, on Spotify, uh, also on YouTube. And uh, if you're interested in youth empowerment, you can also go check out the, the Reach Out Project, which is the charity that I'm a director of that's there to support young boys who are marginalised and disenfranchised from school. So, yeah amazing work he's doing absolutely amazing work guys and i implore you to all check it out and the good man factory if you like you know some good looking men like <laughs> yes yes if you're looking for a partner yes. i'm joking now i can't i can't pimp him out like that yeah. i get, phone, I get the... phone calls saying you didn't give permission for that <laughs> you did not say that but yeah check yep. it out fantastic what you're doing manny um thank you so thank much you. for being a guest on the grief gang podcast guys thank you no for worries. listening and take care and we'll see you soon bye well that's it for this week's episode i hope you all enjoyed it and it set your week off to a great start whether you've laughed a little cried a little i mean i think crying is good for the style or you've resonated with something that was said thank you for listening and spending time out of your day to do so if you like what you hear please do rate review and subscribe In doing so, you're ensuring that lots more people get to find the Grief Gang podcast and hopefully help them too. If you're not already, check out the Grief Gang on social media platforms such as Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. I'm most active on the Instagram page where I love, love, love to connect with you all. For now, take care and big, big love. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. 
Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.